What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good, didn't he? Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 20. We're going to be going through verse 32. Ezekiel 18, 20 through 32. I'm going to be reading from the uh, English Standard Version today. Uh, the meaning will be the same in whatever version that you, that you have there. But uh, in this lengthy reading, sometimes it helps our understanding to have uh, a little bit uh, better flow to the words. And so I'm going to be reading from that today. Uh, let's start at Ezekiel 18.20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. But the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statues and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him, for the righteousness that he has done he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn away, turn from his way and live. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Every one of you according to his ways declares the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart, a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the S word, sin. Sin. Father, in Jesus' name, we're praying you'd touch us today. We're praying you'd help us today. We're praying you'd speak to us. Lord, my words alone are not enough, but your spirit in and through and by your word has the ability to change somebody's life and change somebody's eternity. And we're asking you for nothing less than that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you've watched the news and haven't been living under a rock, you know that the coronavirus is a huge concern. It started in uh, the Wuhan province of China, and it has uh, 
has spread throughout China and has reached into many parts of the earth. Even folks here in the United States have, that have been to China have contracted it. There's an incubation period of 2 to 14 days. During that time, it uh, can be highly contagious. It manifests itself with fever and coughing and shortness of breath, muscle pain and fatigue, and then it develops into a type of pneumonia with respiratory distress syndrome and eventually, if left unchecked, death. There are no vaccines or no specific treatments for the disease. They just manage the symptoms of the disease. As of Friday, February 14th, there were 64,464 cases that had been confirmed, 10,627 of them serious. There have been 1,384 deaths that have been attributed to the virus as of Friday. 1,700 medical workers have contracted the disease. And in two days, at the end of this past week, in two days, just in two days, there were 5,000 more cases and 121 deaths. As early as uh, the first part of January, latter part of December, first part of January, uh, in China, in the Wuhan province, there was a doctor by the name of Li Wanlang that started worry, uh, warning, he got on their social media, uh, and he started warning, particularly in a group that had to do with Wuhan University students, of which he was a, uh, an alumnus. Uh, he got on and started warning them about the potential of this virus. And uh, very early on, he began to warn people of that. For that, in communist China, he received on January 3rd a letter of reprimand. They said, your action greatly disturbed public order. Your action has already exceeded the scope of what is permitted by law. It is an unlawful act. We hope you will cool down and reflect, reflect carefully and solemnly warn you. If you stubbornly insist on maintaining your own view without a thought of repentance, you will suffer legal sanctions. Have you got that? And the letter noted Lee's response, I've got it. Lee was the first medical professional to sound the alarm. And he did it weeks before he himself contracted the dreaded disease. He said, I realized it was out of my control and I would probably be punished. I only wanted to remind my university classmates to be careful. Lee was later called into a police station, reprimanded for spreading rumors online, forced to sign a statement acknowledging his misdemeanor, and weeks later, the China, China's Supreme Court vindicated him and other rumor mongers by saying it may have been a fortunate thing if the public had listened to this rumor at that time. And of course, Lee was diagnosed with his own case of coronavirus and he wrote on that same social media outlet, I will be on the front line when I get better. The epidemic is still spreading. I don't want to be a deserter. Unfortunately, on February 7th, Lee died supposedly with the coronavirus, although the Chinese government is investigating his death as a result of public outcry over it. We are dealing with a disease 
that is far more deadly and far more widespread than the coronavirus. In fact, every human being is born infected with this disease. This disease, in fact, impacts, affects, infects every human being and affects every human being on the face of the earth. It is the root cause, either directly or indirectly, of all of the ills of society. Without it, there would be no crime, no murders, no divorce. Without it, there would be no abandoned children. Without it, there would be no orphans. Without it, there would be no grief. There would be no hospitals, no jails, no cemeteries. Without it, we would live in a paradise, a utopian society where we had a relationship with God and walked in His glory and even the animal kingdom would be at peace. The lion would lay down with the lamb. Sin, either directly or indirectly, is to blame for it all. Yet there are many people in our society, many people in the entertainment business, many people in our school systems and our universities, many people even in our government that seek to silence those that are willing to warn others about this dreaded disease. There are even preachers that think we ought not to talk about it. A preacher out in California that died a few years ago, Robert Schuler, in a 1985 time interview said this, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ that uh, under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to evangelism uh, than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. In other words, he said it's counterproductive and unkind and un even unchristian to tell people that they have a problem with sin. But I'm going to tell you like that brave doctor in China, we cannot allow ourselves to be silenced about sin. It's not that we're angry at sinners. It's not that we're unloving. It's not that we're living in some, uh, some kind of uh, delusion that blames everything on this mystical evil. It is a reality and a fact that the problem with mankind is not poverty, it's not ignorance, it's not social injustice, it's sin. You see, to the progressives, to the liberals, they think evil exists as a result of poverty and ignorance. But to the Bible-believing Christian, we know that evil is the cause of poverty and ignorance. And so people won't to be silent. They don't want us to talk, but like that Chinese doctor, we've got to warn the world that sin is the problem. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Another version of that says, I don't have any reason to brag about preaching the good news. Preaching is something God told me to do, and if I don't do it, I am doomed. We don't have a choice but to warn the world about the disease of sin. 
I think we probably need to begin with a statement of sin. What, what is sin? Well, the Bible concludes basically there's two types of sin. There is the sin that is the direct transgression of God's holy law. It is called willful sin. It's that I know what is right, I know what God desires and expects and, and demands, and I choose to do the very opposite of what God said to do. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It was very simple. You could eat of every tree in the garden except that tree, and they ate of the one tree that he said not to eat out of. It's a direct violation, transgression of God's law. And then there's another kind of sin that is the falling short of God's glory. It's a word in the New Testament that means to miss the bullseye. It is that, that the way God wants us to live, the motives and the actions that God asks of us, that that's our goal, that's our aim, but sometimes we don't quite hit center. Now, I do not believe that a Christian has to sin a little bit every day. And I do not believe that Christians do sin a little bit every day. And if you're talking about this transgression of God's holy law, I know a lot of people that live their life in obedience to God's laws and not in transgression to them. But when you're talking about the falling short of God's glory, <laughs> well, that's another story, isn't it? We don't all hit bullseye every day. Problem with sin is sin hurts people. It hurts people. Katie, when she was about, I don't know, about a year old, she, she was just barely walking. We were out visiting my in-laws out in Texas, and we noticed that Katie was walking around uh, in her diapers and bare feet, and she was chewing on something. And we looked, and what she had done is she had gone up under the kitchen cabinets and got a block of rat poison and was walking around chewing on it. Well, I handled it with my grace and calm that I normally do. <laughs> Hurts me when you laugh at me. So we called the Center for Disease Control, and they said, don't worry about it. All that is is blood thinner. Just let her drink some milk and watch her. Don't let her fall. No more than she ingested, just scraping a little bit off with her little two front teeth, it's not gonna, probably not going to hurt her, just keep an eye on her. That relieved our, our uh, panic, and so we all took a selective, uh, collective sigh of relief until we saw her come back by, she had found another bar. <laughs> we hurt her feelings when we took the rat poison from her. She didn't understand why mom and daddy didn't want her to have that little thing she found up under the kitchen sink. But we knew the danger that she didn't know. And can I tell you, friend, listen, you're not smart enough, you're not wise enough to know what is in your own best interest, but your heavenly father is, and if he says leave it alone, you need to leave it alone. Amen. Amen. Sin hurts people. But there's an element to sin that in modern day preaching we've shied away from. Even in that statement, 
we are still so egocentric, so man-centered that we say, don't sin because it's what's best for you. But can I tell you that sin at its root is sin because it's an offense to a holy God who is going to judge the living and the dead and we're going to have to stand before a holy God for the things we've done in our body. And David, listen, David had committed adultery. He had conspired to have an innocent man murdered. He had done a sin to uh, his oath to the people. He had sinned to his, uh, on his wife. He had sinned on, the, uh, on his own conscience. But when David confessed his sin, he said, God against thee only have I seen. Because David understand that sin at its core is essentially a, it is uh, for uh, the uh, person created in the image of God, it is absolutely a defiance of Almighty God. It is treachery against the kingdom of God to sin. That's the statement of sin, but listen, there's also the subtlety of sin. Sin is so subtle. Psalm 1 says that blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Daddy used to tell me, son, the things of this world are a downward spiral. Sin is not like jumping off of a cliff. It's like wandering down a lane that just keeps leading downward and downward and downward. That's what the psalmist said. Blessed is the man that first of all, he does not walk in the ways of the ungodly, but then after he quits walking in the ways of the ungodly, he starts standing in the way of sinners. And before you know it, he has pulled up a seat at the table of the scornful. Now, now he is antagonistic against that that is right and wrong. I wish I had created a chart with this for you to see. But I'm going to tell you, our society has moved down this progression that I'm going to share with you, and many Christians move down this progression as well. First of all, there is an aversion to sin. If you've been raised right, raised good, you've been taught right and wrong. And the things of the world, the things that are sinful, they are repulsive to you. You have an aversion to them. You say, oh, I don't want to be around that. I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't like that. But before long, there is an anesthetization against it. You're anesthetized against it. You're desensitized against it. This is what Hollywood has done to us. This is what television has done to us. This is what entertainment has done to us. We sit in our living rooms and invite in language and actions that if somebody came in and said or did, we would run them out of the house, but we sit there and gobble it up like pavlum because it entertains us or makes us laugh or moves us. And it has caused, the, it has caused our society to change its opinion on moral issues because of the, of, of the uh, uh, bombardment of all of this and we become desensitized to it. Propaganda of the world has changed public opinion, changed public policy. And many Christians now take the attitude, well, I don't do that, but who am I to judge? Can I tell you, you don't have to judge sin. The Bible judges sin. 
You don't have to say, I'm the judge. I'm not the judge, but I am one who knows the one who is the judge. And what he says is what we ought to live by. I don't have to make the decision whether or not it's sin. The Bible already tells me what it is. So we get anesthetized to it. And that leads to an acceptance of it. When it no longer bothers you, when sin no longer repulses you, and you get desensitized to it, then you become open to accepting it. And it's not long after you start accepting it that you start approving of it. And after you start approving of it, you become an advocate for it. Many times are participant in it. That is the subtle deception of sin. Very subtle. And that leads to the seduction of sin. James 1.14, James says, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. One translation said, But each one is tempted by his lust, being drawn away and seduced by them. Another version says we're tempted by our own desires that drag us off and trap us. It's like the, it's like the, the raccoon that the, that the hunter found a hollow out log and he, he, he drilled a hole just big enough for the open hand of the little open hand of the raccoon uh, to, to go down and get it. And he put a little piece of tinfoil in that hole and the raccoon reached down and grabbed hold of the tinfoil and he would stay there. If he let go of the tinfoil, he could pull his hand out. But because he wouldn't let go of his treasure, he was stuck in that hole because he was holding on to that tinfoil. That is the seduction of sin. Satan puts some little shiny object out there, some little glittering thing that's really not worth anything, but we grab onto it and hold onto it and we are trapped by it and powerless against it because we will not let it go. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. These are the things that captured Eve. Don't eat of the tree and the serpent who was more subtle than all of the beasts. The serpent said, look at it. Don't it look good? Isn't it pleasing to the eye? This is what the Bible says. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye and that it was good for food. Wouldn't that taste good? That's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And it was desirable to make one wise. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. That's the pride of life. Can I tell you that Satan, while the individual elements of temptation and sin may have changed, but can I tell you that his strategy has not changed? He can give it a new label every once in a while in every generation. He'll come up with, a, with something fancy and something that looks shiny and something that is particular. I, I don't know what y'all laughing about, but sin ain't funny, I'll tell you that. He comes up with something new and when he comes up with something new we think it's that but it's all the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's the seduction of sin. Again, when lust, when the desire has conceived it brings forth sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. 
You can't help a thought that comes into your mind. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. And when you grab onto that temptation and you hold on to it and it becomes a motive, that's when lust is conceived. And that lust will grow in the womb of your spirit till it gives birth to an action. But that action, when it is continued, is the very thing that will grow up and kill you. That's the, that's the seduction of sin. That leads us to the seriousness of sin. Our text says the soul that sins will die. Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Don't you know that evil people won't have a share in the blessing of God's kingdom? Don't fool yourselves. No one who is immoral or worships idols or is unfaithful in marriage or is a pervert or behaves like a homosexual will share in God's kingdom. Neither will any thief or greedy person or drunkard or anyone who curses and cheats others. I don't know how we've gotten to this place that we think it doesn't matter when we sin. The Bible is clear about what sin does. You say, you're making me uncomfortable. Thank God. We ought to be uncomfortable. You say, well, you're making me be concerned about my children and grandchildren that aren't saved. Thank God. We better wake ourselves up out of, the, out of the doldrums that we've got ourselves in, out of the milieu that we're in and say there's a seriousness, there's an eternity, there's an eternal heaven and an eternal hell and me and my family are going to end up in one or the other. What can I do about it? I want to share with you an ancient story. It was part of Aesop's fables and there's been variations through the years in classical literature, Latin and Greek, and of course, many of the great English classical uh, authors referred to it, everybody from Chaucer to, to um, Shakespeare. And uh, in, 1860, uh, in 1963, uh, a civil rights activist by the name of Oscar Brown wrote a little poem, and in 1968, it was recorded by Al Wilson in a song, and even the President of the United States has quoted this. I want you to listen to it. On her way to work one morning down the path alongside the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Oh, well, she cried, I'll take you in, and I'll take care of you. The snake said, take me in, old tender woman, take me in. For heaven's sake, take me in, old tender woman, sighed the snake. She wrapped him up, all cozy in a curvature of silk, and then laid him by the fireside with some honey and some milk. Now she hurried home from work that night as soon as she arrived. She found that pretty snake that she had been taken in had been revived. Now she clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But if I hadn't brought you in, by now you might have died. Now she stroked his pretty skin and then kissed and held him tight. But instead of saying thanks... The snake gave her a vicious bite. 
I saved you, cried the woman, and you bought me even. Why? You know your body is poisonous, and now I'm going to die. Oh, shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew right well I was a snake when you took me in. That's the seriousness of sin. You think you can play around with it? You know, we, we do the opposite of the scripture that tells us taste and see that the Lord is good. We're doing a taste test with the things of the world to see what we're missing out on. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. But there's a seriousness to sin. But there is good news. The coronavirus doesn't have a cure, but sin does. And it's as universal as the disease. I said that the cure is as universal as the disease. The disease affects everyone on planet Earth, but the cure is available to everyone on planet Earth. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know I'm talking to some people that have to take medication. I take, I take about six or seven pills every day of my life. I've got two for blood pressure. You say you do? Yeah, I'm a pastor. I got two for blood pressure. I've got two for allergies. I've got one to numb the pain that's caused me by this herniated disc in my neck. Right? So I, I, I take that medicine every day. But some of you have had circumstances and problems that when you went to get a pill, you found out that the one, one pill costs $12,000. The more serious the disease, the worse the disease, the more expensive the cure. And the worst disease ever known to man is sin. And its cure is the most valuable thing in earth and in heaven. We are not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of God's own Son. There is a solution for sin. Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jenna was a wonderful doctor. She was a, a pediatrician and, and she was just a natural. In fact, 
Nobody was surprised when she decided to enroll in medical school and become a doctor because she had been a caregiver her whole life. She was constantly taking in little dragonflies with a broken wing or little birdies that had fallen from the nest. She was constantly finding a stray kitten or a mangy dog to care for. There's just something about Jenna's heart that just, just longed to help people. And so she was a natural when she decided to become a doctor and a pediatrician. And the children, her patients, loved her. Oh, they loved her. She was so tender and smiled so easily and she was so fun. And every time you went to Jenna, when you left there, you got a lollipop and a sticker. And the parents loved her because she was so knowledgeable. And she knew her stuff. And she had such a great bedside manner. She was a good doctor. But she was an even better person. And everybody loved Jenna. There's one little girl named Carmen that Jenna, she loved all of her patients, but Carmen had these big, bright blue eyes. She, she, was, she looked like the picture that's in the frame when you buy a new frame. And her parents were just so, so kind and sweet. And, and Jenna developed a little problem, a little cough and a little pain, and they said, we know what to do. We got to take, uh, Carmen did, and said, we know what we got to do. We got to take Carmen to Jenna. We got to take her to Dr. Jenna. And Dr. Jenna came in, and she examined her, and she, she patted her, and she rubbed her little rosy cheek, and she said, now, baby, we want to think positively, and, and you're going to be all right. She patted the parents. She said, just keep bringing Jenna to me. She said, said, you know, we're going to keep a check on her. Jenna's going to be all right. Jenna didn't get better. Then it got worse and worse until Jenna died. I've been Carmen died. The little girl, Carmen died. And Dr. Jenna went to Carmen's funeral. When she walked by and greeted the family, she told the daddy, she said, I was afraid of this. I was afraid this might happen. The daddy said, what do you mean? said, well, I was pretty sure that Carmen had cancer. The daddy said, what? He said, oh, oh yeah, I, I think Carmen had cancer. The daddy said, why, why didn't you tell us? She said, well, y'all were such a happy family. And she's such a happy little girl. I, I didn't, I, I couldn't stand the look on your faces. I couldn't stand to tell you that she had cancer. I, I just, and, and, and I consider y'all not only patients, but friends. And I, I, just, I just couldn't stand that. And I, I didn't want to ruin her little life. And, and if she had had treatments, she, she would have had needles 
uh, you know, injected into her and she would have had to go through chemo and she would have been out of school and she would have, have lost her hair and she would have had all that. And, and I knew y'all probably couldn't afford trips back in two to uh, Emory in Atlanta, and I knew it'd put a hardship on y'all, and I knew that it that it it, it would put you know it put a strain on y'all's marriage, and I I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And the daddy said, if you'd have told us, we could have got treatment for Carmen, we could have saved Carmen. Yeah, yeah, but I I just I just couldn't do that to you. I, I was afraid that y'all'd get mad at me. And the daddy looked at. Dr. Jenna and said you're a doctor and it was your job to tell us the truth now I know that's kind of a ridiculous illustration but not near as ridiculous as the fact that you won't tell your children you won't tell your neighbor you won't tell your boss you won't tell your spouse. You know what their problem is. You know why their life is in a mess. You know why they're suffering. You know that if they die in that lost and sinful condition, they're going to go to a devil's hell. You know that. And it's your job whether it hurts their feelings or makes them mad or causes them stress or even causes them to reject you, it's your job and my job to tell them there's a disease and to gratefully and thankfully and graciously tell them there is a cure. It's my job to tell you this morning. The problem sin. But thank God it's also my job to tell you there's a cure. And you know what? That cure is waiting right up here. That cure is waiting right here. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Would you stand today? Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. God, I believe that you are dealing with hearts today. I'm asking you, Lord, to let somebody come to the cure today. In Jesus' name.